This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from St Augustine's Anglican Church in Moreland in Melbourne's Inner North. Today's Bigger Question, why give voice to the voiceless? We're asking this question today to Esther Bird. Esther is an experienced speech pathologist with experience in health, early intervention and educational settings. Esther's special interests include working with children with disorders of speech, language and literacy. She also writes children's songs and attends this church, St Augustine's Moreland, and she joins me now. Please welcome Esther Bird. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So Esther, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Um, now, so you love writing children's songs. What do you love about writing children's songs? Well, I write children's songs for particular purposes. So yeah. um, our church runs a mainly music group here. Yep. And I like writing songs that are suitable and lots of fun for our mainly music group. I also write songs as part of my work as a speech pathologist. Okay, yeah. So I think I'm the sneakiest songwriter of children's songs. I usually have an intent for the song that I'm writing. So... For example, I thought, wouldn't it be fun if we could sing a song at Mainly Music that had something to do with Noah's Ark and we could bounce something on the lycra at the same time because the kids love bouncing things on the big panel of lycra. So I wrote a song that met that need and was fun. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty niche kind of it's song. pretty niche kind <laughs> of song, right, yeah. yes. Are there any other particular memorable songs or interactions with children? Um, well, I started writing kids' songs once I had my own daughter um, mm-hmm. in earnest because as a baby she couldn't understand my words, so I thought maybe if I sang a song to her consistently when she had to get out of the bath, then it wouldn't be such a shock when we pulled her out of the bath. And so she that's w- called the Getting Out of the Bath song? There is a song called <laughs> It's Time to Get Out of the Bath. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yes. And I think what's... Um, particularly notable, what I learned early on was once you sing the song and you teach it to other people, e.g. my lovely husband, um, it becomes a, a, a thing that evolves. Right. So there's a line in the song that says, it's, you've had so much fun, now bath time is done. It's time to get out and to put on pyjamas. Right. And he changed it to, you've had so much fun, you've got a clean bum. <laughs> um, which doesn't even rhyme accurately. No, okay, sure. But he was just being funny. Do you have a song for him to get out of the bath as <laughs> no, well? No, <laughs> He just understands he my just, words. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're talking with Esther Bird about giving voice to the voiceless. So, Esther, our smaller questions to you are about the TV show The Voice. Oh, yeah. Now, are you a fan of The Voice at all? Like... Did you ever audition for it with some of your songs, like the Noah's Ark bouncing song, perhaps? Look, uh, as popular as it has been amongst <laughs> its niche market, okay, I right. haven't brought that to the wider audience. You haven't brought that to the voice the, audience no, yet. The voice. Do you watch the show at all? Uh, no, I think I've seen a parody of The Voice on Sesame Street. <laughs> right. um, okay. <laughs> we'll see how you go. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, which of the following performers has not been a coach on The Voice Australia? Okay, is it A, Guy Sebastian... B, Ricky Martin, C, Kylie Minogue, or D, Captain Feathersword from The Wiggles? I think there's been a Minogue on something. Yeah, this is a coach on The Voice. Yeah, so, this so is probably the, this not Captain Feathersword. He doesn't actually have a great voice, to right. be honest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you're, you're going to go... You're what? <laughs> I'm going to guess D. You're going to go for D, Captain oh, no, Feathersword? His, char- his character. His, his character. character. 
Yeah, probably probably the man himself has a wonderful voice. I'm sure he does. Oh, singing. yeah, but you're not, you're not a fan of Captain Feathersword's voice. The character's voice right. does get a bit squeaky at times. <laughs> okay, right, okay. Yeah. Well, the answer, of course, is actually D. Phew! Captain Feathersword from the Wiggles has not been a coach on The Voice. Do you, do you think that The Voice would be improved? If the Wiggles featured a bit more prominently, perhaps? I, well, it would certainly appeal to a wider market. <laughs> sure, okay. Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Well, you're doing well. <laughs> Thank uh, question you. two. Harrison Craig won the second series of The Voice in Australia. What type of speech difficulty did he have? Was it A, none, you can't sing and win with speech difficulties? B, he had a stutter? C, he had a heavy lisp? Or D, he had a New Zealand accent? <laughs> 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 I haven't found a New Zealand accent to be in any way impairing. Okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say no to the D. That's, that's a good, that's a good yes. choice. Yeah, that's a good uh, choice. Look, I'm going to guess that he had a stutter and I'm going to guess it didn't come out at all in his singing performances because that's one of the characteristics of stuttering is that it doesn't tend to be a problem for people when they're singing or when they're reading out loud. And That's the answer guess. is actually B. He yes. had a stutter. Phew. Yes, the winner right, of the something. 2013. Why not? <laughs> the winner of the 2013 season of The Voice lived with a stutter since the age of four, and he won. Yay. So Esther, you're the voice. Thank you. You got two of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause. <laughs> so Esther, you work as a speech pathologist. Now, can you share a little bit about what that means? Because it's a lot broader than just simply helping people with stuttering, is that right? Yes, so um, so we consider people's um, ability to communicate in three different ways, is content of what they say, the form of what they say, and then the use of how they use the skills and communication they have. So content covers things like vocabulary, understanding the meaning of things, um, knowing that concepts um, exist, understanding concepts, so that's sort of, that's content. And then we also look at, um, the form in which people communicate, so things like the speech sounds, um, the grammar or the syntax that people use when they connect their sentences together. Um, it also c covers things like stuttering. Is, is, is it coming out in a clear way? Do they have a voice disorder? Is it their voice husky or difficult to understand? That's the form. And then we also consider how people use their language, so things like social interaction skills, um, is your body language in line with what other people are expecting? Are you making eye contact that people consider, that people are expecting? Um, are you using your language skills to request things or to comment about things? Are you asking questions appropriately? Can you have a conversation? So that's the three broad areas that speech pathologists consider. So it's a bit broader consider. than just simply like my fair lady, you know, the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. You don't, you're not doing elocution and stuff. Um, hurricanes hardly ever happen. Is that, is that sort of stuff you do? Look, or? I could if you wanted to pay me for it. Um, it's, it's within but, my scope. But, right, it's within your scope, but it's much broader. It's a than small part of my scope. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you? What is your goal then in speech pathology? What are you trying to do? Well, my goal is to find out when a person comes and they ask for assistance with their communication. My goal is to find out what is it particularly that you wish to be able to do better or more of. That example from My Fair Lady. The, the, the elocution teacher's goal was to um, assist the woman to elevate to a higher social status by having vowels that sounded in a different way. Um, but that's generally not my goal. <laughs> in, in what sense then are you trying to give people a voice? I think what I'm trying to do is give people access. Access to the things that other people are able to do. 
So for little kids, say, I'd like them to be able to go to kinder and play with their friends and learn from their kinder teacher and learn from the kinder environment and have access to the learning that they have that is readily available for other kids at kindergarten. So the kids that I work with, sometimes they find it really difficult to handle lots of social interaction um, or they might find it difficult to maintain eye contact or they might just not have the language skills yet to understand the instructions from the teacher. Mm. And so my job is to help them have a way around that, those problems or to teach them language that, so that they can understand what the teacher's instructions are, so that they can negotiate and play with their peers, although that's, that's tricky for every kid. Mm. <laughs> um, whose turn is it on what and with what toy at what time? But so, so that's providing, a lot of it is providing access so, to so the what stuff sort of, that everybody else is able to do. So what difference do you make then with the lives of these children? It's hard to answer that question. Um, it, it's usually incremental. Yeah. Usually incremental differences. As, as, you, as you work with people over a period of time, their goals and their needs change because they're trying to do different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's hard to always... It, things like fixing a speech sound, that's pretty concrete. Yeah. You know, you couldn't say your TH sound... We gave you six weeks of therapy and ideas and home practice and you came out and then you could and off you go, yay, that's it, that's fixed. So that, that's sort of tangible. That's pretty can... tangible, pretty concrete. You couldn't do it, I taught you, now you can. And, but there's a lot of people for whom I work with where it's a, it's a partnering, it's a journey, it's a in for the long haul. You know, there's going to be issues that you're going to face that change and depending on what you're trying to achieve in your life and what else crops up in your life. So trying to give people varying degrees of access, I suppose, to just education and, and to life. Yeah, yeah, and to life and to employment and to social interactions and um, to friendship groups and to all the stuff that they want to be able to do in life. And your work probably tries to help certain people who are perhaps a bit more vulnerable to be able to access more parts of society to function um, and have access to more, I suppose. Yeah. That's, that's really what you're trying to yeah. do. Yeah, I think yeah. Part, of, part of what I'd say to families, um, a lot of the people when they hear or they're considering their child maybe on the autism spectrum, they we, we read through what, what can you expect, what does that mean, what does it look like, and sometimes you read the like the characteristics or the say the symptoms or signs that someone is on the autism spectrum, and some of the things are like... Um, likes to have the same routine, um, likes to have predictability in their day. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Yep. <laughs> I like to know what I'm doing in my day. And a lot of people, when they read these things, you know, likes things to look neat and tidy, likes things to look a certain way, um, doesn't like having things that irritate them, like, you know, label in the back of my neck drives me nuts. And a lot of people find this stuff relatable. And I say to families, yeah, we're, we're all in the swimming pool. We're all, we've all, we're all in the same situation we all have things that drive us nuts and we all we're all having we all have times where things are harder than we would like them to be um and and it's just some people are out of their depth and they need help and we all move around in the swimming pool too you put me under stress and my my social interaction skills will take a nosedive yeah you put a label in the back of my neck and i've just got to get it out before i can do anything <laughs> um and so that's, it's given me a lot of understanding for the kids that I work with that, you know, we're all, we're all in the swimming pool. <laughs> this, this is happening to all of us all the time. Just some of us are able to cope with it better than others and it doesn't impede my functioning in the tasks that I want to do. But for other people it does and that's when they need help and support. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what motivates you to do the work that you do? What drives you? 
well, I, I want to be paid. I need to pay my mortgage <laughs> as part of my... Yep. But, um, so it's legitimate to get paid for doing yes, this. Yes, yes, yes. So that's part of, that's part of the so reason. For the, yeah, all no. the people who haven't paid their bills yet. <laughs> yeah. so you've got to, you'll be chasing <laughs> them down. Thanks, right. I have an admin team that does that for <laughs> that's me. Right, yeah. um, no, so what, what I... One of my faiths, my faith as a Christian, I find um, has given me... As, I, as I've been practising as a speech pathologist over the years, I've taken you know, time to reflect on what is it that I'm doing, you mm-hmm. know, and sort of not just doing my job day to day, but like what, am I, what is it that motivates me, like yeah. you say. Yeah. Um, and one of the beautiful parts of the Bible was right at the beginning in the book of Genesis when God says that he makes every person in his own image. The fact that, that every person is made in the image of God and whether you've got a really obvious difficulty or disability or whether you've got a subtle one or whether it makes a big difference in your life or whether it makes a small difference in your life, every person is made in the image of God and has worth and value as a human being. I think that's actually provided quite a strong foundation for the community that we live in now because part of my work is working with children and people who have government funding to receive therapy services. And so part of it is that we, as a community and as a society, have recognised that every person has inherent worth and value and is worth spending community money on Um, therapy to help them achieve things. So this really drives and motivates uh, deeply what you you do. Yeah, I I love that... um, I can honour and value every person that comes to work with me, no matter if they're minimally verbal and very and minimally interactive, or if it's just a couple of speech sounds that we're working on. Like it's, it, it I don't, I, I see that God has something, has it, there's His image in them, and it, and it's my privilege and honour and joy to help that shine and yeah. be revealed. You see it as a privilege. To work with people who otherwise society might struggle to accept. Yeah, oh yeah, to be able to have the time and the space to, to focus on this person and think, how can I bring something out of you that isn't easy for other people to bring out of you? That's a real privilege. So your, your Christian faith obviously is important to you. Maybe can you just tell us a little bit, little bit about your story? What convinced you to become a a Christian believer, that this was worth following, this was for you? So I was um, brought up with a mum and a dad who attended church and are believers in in God. And um, so I was blessed with lots of um, Christian examples around me from a church that I grew up in and um, people clearly explaining the Bible from a young age to me, um, which was great. When I was at university, an event happened that, um, yeah, so I... This was an important event for this you. This was an important could, event for me. Did you kind of accepted the Christian faith at this point, were yes, you? But, but this was an important event for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was the wrong person in the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. Yeah, this is, this is me being vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. I, I messed up big time. Um, so I was driving to university to go to, a, I think, a tutorial or something. I was supposed to be there. And I was um, on the road driving and I saw somebody who I knew who was kind of limping and walking their bike on the side of the road. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, oh, that's her. Oh, no, I've got to get to my lecture. 
And I thought, yeah, I've really got to get to my lecture. Yeah, I want to keep going. I was going to do that. This is whole not, not wanting unpredictability in my day. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I wanted to get to my lecture. You're, you're swimming in the pool. And I, yes, I'm swimming <laughs> in the pool. And I knew that I, I knew really I could miss that lecture. You just get notes off someone else. It's no big deal. But part of it was I didn't warm to this person as much as other people. I didn't, yeah. And I didn't want to help her. I didn't want to. And there were all these points on the way that I could have turned and gone around the corner and gone back. And I could have turned and gone around, and I didn't. And I chose a lot of times to not go back, not go back. You were determined to not help this person. I was, <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. And I, I walked past, I, I went past. You know, I got home and I thought, that was, that was bad. How am I going to, how am I going to keep going to church? Like, how, does, I thought I was off the team. Right. I thought you were, you were so guilty, you felt guilty? I knew that I was doing the wrong thing and yeah. I did it deliberately on purpose a number of times and I could have changed my mind and I didn't. Right. And so you thought, I'm off the team, this, I can't really be a Christian. I thought, you know, God will say, ah, Esther, see you later. That's it. This is not how my team works. You're not, clearly you understood the rules and how we were playing the game and you chose to not be on the team. So I thought I'd, yeah, I was really upset. And I, I didn't really talk about it with anybody because I was very embarrassed. And I thought that there was really no place for me in the team, in, in church or in God's family anymore because I'd done the wrong thing, deliberately, on purpose. And um, it took a couple of months um, for that message, for me to understand what grace was. Yeah, how did, how did you understand grace? Well, um, my mum had a friend round and they were chatting in the kitchen over a cup of tea, and my mum's friend said to her, oh, yes, when are people going to understand? There's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you less. And you're like, I'd grown up hearing this message about grace and that God forgives our sins and God welcomes us back. And I, and I still hadn't really understood there's really nothing I can do that'll make God love me less. God will, yeah. That's so that, why was li- that was liberating for that you. Was libera- that, was part of, that, was, that was part of it. And then, again, I went on an Easter camp of, about a few weeks later and somebody um, who I didn't know um, came up and said to me, I think God's got a job for you to do in the next month. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And she said, what's your name? I said, oh, Esther. And she goes, oh, yeah, I've been thinking of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14, for you were born for such a time as this. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, I'm really not off the team. Okay, (laughs) okay. It was just an amazing experience of grace, just grace, being forgiven and being, um, yeah, there's nothing I can do either way that will make God love me more or less. And it was really... So it was a really confirmation experience for you. Very humbling. (laughs) Very humbling. But yeah, it was a message that I've carried in my heart. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. There is a story in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life we have, where we meet someone who perhaps needs a speech pathologist. So in Mark chapter 7 and verse 31, it says... Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So Esther, a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk, he'd be a pretty tough case, do you think, for a speech pathologist? Oh, these days we'd, um, we'd teach him Auslan. Okay, right. <laughs> he'd learn sign language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so what do you think life would have been like, though, for this deaf mute? 
Ah, so I did a little bit of reading up on Wikipedia, as you do, um, <laughs> and it was horrible. It was it was horrible. The stuff I read. Um, so for what this guy would have for how this guy's life would have been. Yeah. So Aristotle um, said some very unhelpful things um, about deaf people. He the, said the great philosopher. The great philosopher. He said in about I think it was about three hundred years BC. He said that um, deaf people were. Um, basically intellectually inferior and time should not be wasted upon them. So there would have been a sense that this guy would have been seen as obviously inadequate? I'm sure he had very few people who um, recognised his humanity or his mm. human rights. Um, and, yeah, I imagine he was very isolated. Mm. Look, it's mm. possible that he might have had family members who were really supportive um, and maybe... A, well, a, he did have some friends who came to... I know, to, I just, sort of, I love that part. And they the say that they brought the man and begged him to place... Yeah. To, to bring him to Jesus and begged yeah. him to place his hand on him. Yeah, so, I just, so what, I love, I love these friends. Why, why do you I love, love them? I love them because, well, because they're people that clearly care about this man, that they yeah. do recognise that he has God's image, that he is worthy of time and attention. Well, Jesus responds to their pleas, and in verse 33, it says, After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. So what do you make of this interaction where Jesus gives voice to a voiceless man? There is so much in the story yeah. that I just that I notice as a speech pathologist. Yeah, what do you notice? Well, I first first of all I notice that he takes the man aside and away from the crowd. Now, if you've ever driven around in your car with the radio, you've got some tunes, you're cranking, it's really great, you get out of the car and you go inside. And the next morning you get in your car and you put the key in and you turn it on and the radio, bam, is so loud. And you're like, whoa, who can drive around with this? Whoa. First thing you do is turn it right down. That would be the experience of this man who's gone from not hearing hardly anything to hearing the noise of a crowd. It would just be so horrible. And so Jesus, the first thing Jesus does is show that he understands. He's taking time to consider what this is like for this man. So the first thing Jesus does is consider the man's needs and pull him aside. Yeah. Um, then, he, then it says he put his fingers into the man's ears. So again, Jesus is communicating to this man. He's, under, he's trying to understand from this man's perspective, how can I make it so that you understand what's gonna, about to happen to you? I love that Jesus takes the time to communicate in a way this man will understand before he heals him. He could have just told him, he could have just done the healing and then said, oh, by the way, I'm Jesus and I just healed you. And I didn't think he needed to know beforehand. I just thought I'd make it happen magically and fast, you know. But Jesus prepares the man for what's about to happen to him so he doesn't get a complete shock. Yeah. So he touches his ears, which is communicating to him, I'm going to fix your ears. Um, and then he spat. That's not something that you do as a technique in speech pathology? Just not on, spit on clients? Not on purpose. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Just those, to clarify that. So yeah. in those days, spit was considered to be a healing medium. Right. That he's giving his life at this point. Some part of Jesus' life. Part of, part of himself. He's giving of himself to he's this. giving this of himself. Yeah, he's yeah. Com it's coming out of Jesus. So I don't think he spat on the man. I think he probably spat on his own fingers, to be honest. And then and he speaks this, this, this Aramaic word. Yeah. 
I don't even, how do you say that? Ephaphtha? Look, I don't know. I'm not, great at, I'm not great at Aramaic. But the PH is an F sound that we have in English here. So we've got Ephaphtha. Um, oh, also before that, he touches a man's tongue. Mm-hmm. So he, he didn't say or point to his, he touched. So the man had obviously vision and he had sensation on his body. So Jesus is using the medium, so stuff he can see and stuff he can feel to communicate to him. He could understand and feel and see that Jesus was doing something. So um, as well as I imagine, I don't know, what would it feel like to have your entire brain wired for hearing and speech, like instantly? I just can't imagine. That, that takes a long time in speech pathology terms to yes. get to that point. Yes, to generally. To be able to speak fluently after not being able to hear or... Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's quite an extraordinary, <laughs> quite an extraordinary miracle. So from a speech pathologist's perspective, you think this is quite extraordinary, what, uh, what's just yeah. happened? As an audiologist, if I was an audiologist, I'd probably be amazed at the hearing part, but I'm a speech therapist, so I'm, ama- I'm amazed <laughs> that this guy can go from not... So that says, could hardly talk at all, to being able to speak clearly. This is, this is years of my work. This is years of my work just happening instantly. If, it has, if anyone's tried to learn a language as an adult you know that it takes a long time to learn the words, to learn how to put them together, to learn even just the speech sounds. There's lots, lots of languages have sounds that are not present in other languages. This man had not been speaking any, any of these sounds clearly. And to suddenly be able to have the muscle control, the neuromotor control from his brain to his muscles, to just be able to rapid fire get that out is amazing. And he understood the words. Like, he hadn't been hearing the words or mm. using the words, and suddenly he could understand and use all these <sighs> words and put them together in sentences and get the sounds right just straight away. That's, that's, that's amazing. Well, that's exactly how people responded in verse 36. Yes. Um, Jesus commanded not to tell anyone, but people were overwhelmed with amazement. Yeah, they were. He has done everything well. They said he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Uh, and this actually recalls a prophecy in Isaiah 35, which in many ways identifies the um, identity of the coming Messiah. So do you think that the connection between Jesus coming, his identity of, of making people speak, is that an appealing prospect or an appealing image for you? Part of what this miracle of what Jesus was about was to show the world that he was the Messiah. Yes. And it's an important distinction to pull out for today's culture. Um, so part of our thinking about people with disability. Like when I said that we're all in the swimming pool, it's important to understand that there's nothing inherently wrong about having something that is different about your body. And if, particularly if you're made in the image of God. Particularly if you're made in the image of God. Um, what's wrong is, it, is that you have difficulties in your life. The power of this is, 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 A, it's wonderful for the man, but B, it's also an indicator that this is, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies that Jesus is who he says he is. So Esther, why give voice to the voiceless? I think because God wants to. God wants everybody to be able to have a voice and be able to contribute and be part of um, his beautiful creation and to be part of community amongst each other. Yeah. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, why give voice to the voiceless, from Mark chapter 7. Then some people brought him to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Esther Bird.
Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.